What's up, gang? How are y'all? Oh. Man, I say, what's up, gang? And everybody applauds. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. What's up, gang? <laughs> it's magic up here, man. It's magic up here. Um, listen, so yeah, so um, I'm part of the teaching team here. My name is Chris. And uh, um, we got a lot of work to do today, right? Got a lot of work to do today. Um, t- today's going to probably be a lot of information driven, okay? And so let me just kind of explain to you how, how we're doing this. Um, so we've moved into the story, right? And so we've been tracking down the road. We are in, we have moved from the divided kingdom into the prophets, all right? And so like if you've been walking with us, then you know we do hand signs for these things, all right? And so I'm going to let you do them with me again, all right? Why don't you stand up? That's cool. I'm going to add two hand signs to our, to our um, hand sign motion, right? The first one is this, is this is the divided kingdom because it goes north and south. And then we're going to add prophets to that, all right? So here's the prophet finger, okay? All right, it's the prophet finger. <laughs> all right? Okay, so you ready? Here we go. Creation, fall, flood, nations, Terah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, wrestled with God, Israel, Joseph, Egypt, 400 years, Moses, let my people go, 10 plagues, Red Sea, law, Moses dies, Joshua, promised land, Judges, kings, Israel, splits, prophets. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Have a quick seat. There you go, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. So here comes the question. Why do we make the sign like this for prophets? Shame, shame. Yeah. So if, you're, if, you, if you know much about the Old Testament prophets, their role was the Lord would come to them and say, hey, tell Israel they have prostituted themselves with such and such and such and such. And in their hearts, not, not, not physically prostituted, but in their hearts, they had given their hearts away to other things. And so guess what? If you're the guy who walks into the kingdom and says, hey, all of you are a bunch of prostitutes, there's going to come a time, man, where things may not go good for you, Right? especially if it's over and over and over again, right? But they had no other option because the Lord had compelled them. Like the Lord had met with them and said, go tell them that if they'll repent, I will hear, hear, hear them and heal their land. But some people don't want to hear this, right? Like we know this. We don't want to hear it ourselves sometimes. Like I'm having a conversation with my wife, my wife on Thursday night, and she's like, bro, there's repentance coming from you in that. And I'm like, yeah, but not yet. Yeah, and although she's right, like she's totally right, I found myself this morning in my bad time repenting for it because I don't want it to get worse. The other side of that, though, is that my heart gets hard and I would get worse, okay? This is why the Old Testament prophets found themselves being sawed in half. Like they, they were killed horrifically. And when I say sawed in half, it's not like they were in a box. It's they were strung up by their legs and sawed in half. Like it was a horrific thing. But yet the Lord was in that the entire time. They were the Lord's voice to turn an entire nation back. 
Those are some of the greatest stories. One of my favorite stories in, in, in the prophets is when Elisha walks by and a bunch of kids pop out. Evidently, Elisha's bald-headed, and they start calling him names to redo with his bald head, and he calls down a curse, and two bears come out and maul them kids, 42 of them, and you're like, what just happened here? Right? But this story plays out over and over. Now, here comes the jump. Like, if we teach through Old Testament prophets, you may look at me and go, what does that matter to me because I'm living now? Right? Like, I'm, I'm living right now. And so the question comes is like, like, do the prophets still exist? Like, are there some of you in this room who are wired up this way? Right? Are there some of you outside of this room who are unredeemed and still live this way? Right? Like, is this, is this still in play or is this over? Like, is this done? And that's what I want to kind of hop into today. Like, I want to kind of move us in this direction, all right? Growing up, I grew up Catholic, um, came to Christ at the age of 24, you know this, joined a quote-unquote non-denominational church, which was, which was actually Baptist. Um, they just didn't want to say it, right? Come here, um, first probably a couple weeks after the church launches, I'm with Phil Crawling. We're at Phil Crawling's house, me and Matt and some people that we had just, just met here, like the Blairs. And we're sitting around the table, and we're asking just the common question, like, how did you find yourself at New City Church? Like, the church has been going on for about a month. And so we, we start this, this path that everybody's talking. And then Anita Blair, who is in this room with us, she says this. She says, I am not here because of you, Chris. I am not here because of you, Matt. She said, in 2007, I believe the Lord gave me something that I am watching unravel here. And she goes, I'm not here for any person. I'm here because I believe the Lord is going to have a genuine movement here. Now, this is 2012 to a guy who has no box for this that says, I think she ate some bad mashed potatoes. <laughs> All right? Because I don't have a box for it. Okay? But just because I don't have a box for it doesn't mean that I'm right. Right? Just because you may have a box for it, are you right? And so it, in this story, right, like here's, here's what I'm going to say as we get into this. There are those in, your, in this room, because I've got to go into 1 Corinthians 13, right? I've got to go into um, the whole prophet piece. And so there's some of you in this room going, man, praise God. It's about time that we had this conversation. And I would say to you that I may not go as far as you want me to, right? The other side of you is like, what are you doing, Chris? Like, we just found a church that we love, and now you're fixing to get freaky-deaky on me, right? And, and I would say maybe we need to push on you to go a little further, right? I would say that there's probably correction that needs to happen in both camps, right? So here's how it's going to play. The Word of God is inerrant. Chris Monks is fully errant. I'm going to ask the Lord to come, guard my mouth. And if my mouth releases something that's not right, I'm going to ask him to guard your ears. Fair? All right. Father, as we sit with you this morning with the worship, Lord, I would ask for the parents in this room first off that are sending kids to school, Lord, that you would protect their children. 
because, Lord, we're not naive to believe that this stuff doesn't happen here. And so, Father, if there's anybody in the area of Kansas City that is planning anything stupid like this, Lord, I would pray that you would take them out. That we would not have funerals at this place for people who are detached from you. Lord, I would also ask for the next minute. Lord, in my mind, I have no, I don't have clear enough time to, to even start this story. Lord, I know that you make time for all things. You created it, you invented it, and so, Lord, we give that to you. Lord, protect my mouth. Lord, don't let me say something stupid. Don't let me miss. Father, may this thing glorify you. And everybody in this house said, amen. So, yeah, so, man, as we get moving, I just want to also thank Matt and, and the teaching team and the elders to kind of give me latitude to, to teach this. Um, so we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to start with verse 8. We'd love to start with 13.1, but I don't think we're going to have enough time. And so we're going to start with 13.8, and we're going to move into this. So it says 13.8, verse 1, first thing it says, love never fails. All right? Love never fails. Now, Paul has just unpacked seven verses talking about the power of love. Now, in order to understand this, this word, we've got to understand the meaning of the word. Remember, the word has four words for our one word of love. This one is used as agape love, meaning it is dying love. Like it's where we get our word for agony. All right? It's an agonizing love. So picture this clearly. This is a picture of Christ having nails driven through his hand and still saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is an agonizing kind of love. And that's what Paul's talking about. And so the first six verses here, the first seven verses, he's like, listen, if you don't have this one, right, nothing else matters. Like, we can talk about tongues and prophecies and words of knowledge all you want, but they don't matter because this one starts everything. Like, if your life surrounds you, you've already missed this. He's like, you pursue this one more than anything. And, it, and here's kind of an example of how it plays. is like, when you walk in on Sunday morning, man, are you here to serve or be served? Because the serving part, like, if you're here to be served, you, you don't know this. All right? Like, you, you don't know it. In your marriage, right, if you're always right, you don't know this. In your marriage, like, if you never forgive, you don't know this. At work, you have a hard time getting along with people, you don't know this. And so Paul's saying, like, if you don't know this, the rest of this is for naught. All right. Verse 8, love never fails. He says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. 
And so let me give you just a little background here. In the Corinthian church, they were well known for making bronze. All right. So their mirrors were made of bronze. If you've ever taken some polish and polished a piece of bronze and you've looked in it, that's what they were. That's their reflection. That's how they see. Okay. When he talks about you look in a mirror and you kind of halfway see, that's what he's talking about. All right. Now, here's what he just said. He said, there will come a time when prophecies stop. There will come a time when tongues stop. There will come a time when words of knowledge stop. And when that time comes is the time of completeness. Or other, or other translations say it is the time of perfection. All right? This view of theology, all right, this view of theology is known as cessationism, meaning that cessationism says that, that all of those things stopped when the last apostle died. All right? It means that there are no more miraculous events since the time of the last apostle. When the last apostle died, the sealing of the letters was closed. When Paul passed, the canon was closed. Like, it's done. And that becomes the time for perfection. All right? It's what's known in circles that's called cessationism, meaning that these things exist no more. Now, the question becomes is, are we cessationists? Are you a cessationist? All right? And here's what I'm going to tell you I am. I am not a cessationist, okay? And I'm going to tell you why. It's not experience, all right? Experience, your experience, my experience with Anita should be the number four filter that I put truth to, all right? Your experience in anything should be one of the last filters that you put things through because everybody's experience changes. Here's why I am not a cessationist. Because he says, verse 10, he says, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So when completeness comes, words of knowledge stop. When completeness comes, words of prophecy quit. When completeness comes, tongues quit. And so the question is, is completeness the sealing of the canon or is completeness something else? Right? And so we track down just a little bit further and he says, for now, we see only as a reflection in a mirror. I mean, we see fuzzy. But then, when completeness comes, we shall see what? Face to face. He says, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now, has anyone in here ever seen Jesus face to face? Would anyone in here say that the way that they know themselves fully is the way that they know the Lord. So then would anyone in here say that the completeness has come? All right. And it says clearly that these things will stop when completeness comes, meaning when you see Jesus face to face. All right. So if I'm understanding this correctly, this is what he just said to us. He says, listen, the, 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 the moment that I no longer need a word of knowledge is when? Is when Jesus comes. When he's standing right here in front of me, and I don't need to know anymore because he's right here in front of me. The, the moment that tongues will stop is when? Is when I don't need them anymore. When Jesus is right here in whatever language we're going to speak, we're going to speak it face to face, right? Does, does this make sense? And the, the minute that I no longer need a prophetic word or, or prophecy, like when does that stop? When I don't need it anymore, when Jesus is standing right here in front of me. But for now, I see in part, all right? 
Like, and if I'm going to be as honest as I can, like sometimes I'll stand on my deck and it seems like the more that I know the Lord, the, the more that I feel like I know him, the wider the gap between us becomes. And I don't know if I necessarily like that, but it's true. Like, I feel like the more I know him, the more I see fuzzy. Right? And so, I think we made a strong case here of why I'm not a cessationist. And so, we're going we're gonna to track down just a little bit further. We're going to keep moving through this, okay? And it says this. It says, follow the way of love. All right? This is Paul going back saying, listen, I'm, I'm reminding you that unless you've got this sacrificial love going for you, like unless that thing's playing out in your life, if your world is still all about you, please don't do this, <laughs> right? And he's like, man, if, if you're pursuing that, like if, if you're pursuing constantly dying to yourself, then he says, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially Especially what? All right. Did I say that or did the Lord say it? All right. So let's just pause in this for a second. Okay? And I want to make sure that my words are good here. Like, I wish it didn't say that. All right? And, and here's why. Um, I love to preach the word in a way that says you cannot walk from this. Like, I believe there's enough historical and biblical evidence that says you cannot walk from this. I believe I can disprove most of the other major religions that I know about, but I feel like this one right here, like, I want it to be so real that you can't walk away from this, but you start moving into this, and it gets a little bit further out there for me. But surely I wouldn't read the Word of God and know that it wouldn't rub up against me in the wrong way at some point, right? And same in your life. Like, surely you don't read the Word and think, man, something in here is not going to rub up against me the wrong way, right? Right? And so in my, in my wake of this, I just want to kind of play out how this, how this comes into being for me and, and why I have this kind, of, this kind of relationship with this. So I'm going to give you three quick stories here. Here's story one. Me and my friend, Andrew Black, it's a, it's a year ago. It'll be two years in December. We're sitting together. We're having lunch, talking about the things the Lord's doing in our life. He's like, listen, my schedule is clear. Let's go spend some time in prayer together. I said, fine, let's go. So we track down the road. Um, we go and we hang out at this place and we're praying and this guy taps me on the shoulder and he hands me a note. And what he wrote in that note was the exact same thing that I was praying about. So much to the peace that I carry it with me pretty much everywhere I go. It stays in my backpack and when I'm having a dark day, I pull it out knowing that the Lord is with me, right? Blew my mind, Okay. Going to fast forward you to um, an, another sport story. So I'm in a discipling group, and in, in this discipling group, we, we were, we were kind of walking through this big moment with this, 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 this lady. And in the discipling group, there's a time where we're like, hey, here's what you just said, and here's the scriptures that I'm reminded of. And sometimes, honestly, you're just reminded of scriptures that kind of just come out of the hip, and sometimes you're reminded of scriptures that actually come from something deep within and I'm standing there, and I'm watching this, right? And this guy gives a scripture, and he goes, I don't know why this was coming to me. He said, but here's what I'm reminded of in your story. He begins to unpack Samaritan's, uh, John 4 of the Samaritan woman where she comes to know Jesus, and the entire community believes because of her, right? Now, we're talking about this woman's daughter-in-law who is far from God, 
And she's kind of, the woman goes, well, that may be, but she, she doesn't want anything to do with church. And we've been a poor example of Jesus to her for the last 16 years, so I don't, I don't know how that's ever going to play out. About two months later, like I, I'll watch this. I'll watch the guy tear up as he gives the scripture. He's not one of those guys that actually do that. About two months later, I'm sitting here on a Sunday night. This girl comes out of the crowd. It's the 5 o'clock service. She's shaking like a leaf. Never seen her before in my life. She's like, I see a chance for love, and I'm going for it. We put her in the tank. We baptize her. We don't have any clothes because it was an impromptu baptism. She starts to run out the door. I grab her arm. It's like, dude, that's like, what's your name? Like, we don't even know who you are. She said, I'm so-and-so's daughter-in-law. Again, my jaw hits the floor. I pull her to the side and I start telling her stuff that I probably should have told her, in all honesty, because I was just blown away. Casey Carter was in the, in the room. He called me up and he said, dude, that, that can't be so-and-so's daughter-in-law. I said, it is. He's like, so that we would know that he is God. All right? And so you're Chris, you're like, those are some great stories, so why do you not like this? Like, why does this thing make you unruly a little bit? It's because I've also been on the other side of this. All right? I've been on the other side of this. And I've had people come to me and say, the Lord told me that you're a sinner. And as you unpack it, you realize that they don't really know what they're talking about. But once you hear those words, you can't take them back, right? Like once somebody comes to you and says, hey, the Lord told me that you're a sinner, like you can't unpack, like you can't take that back. Like I, I know that I'm a sinner. They're like, no, you sinned, about, you sinned against this one thing, and, and it kind of just, just hits you hard, right? And you're like, man, if this is what it looks like, I don't want nothing to do with it. Like I, I don't want anything to do with it, all right? Now, before we start moving into 14.1, let me kind of give you some, some, some context here, okay? I want to give you a definition of the word prophetic, all right? John Piper, I think this is one of the best ones that I've come across. John Piper's got a definition of prophetic, all right? And here's what it says. It is a spirit-filled, spirit-prompted, spirit-sustained utterance that does not carry intrinsic divine authority, and may be mixed with error, all right? So it's a spirit-filled, spirit-prompted, spirit-sustained utterance that does not carry intrinsic divine authority and may be mixed with error, all right? So here's what it just said in, in layman's terms. It is like it is a prompting of the spirit. Like there are those of you in this room that have this gift, all right? I would say there's probably 40% of you in here that have this, and you're like, I don't even know what to do with it sometimes, the church gives a poor avenue for how you track this out, which we're going to kind of hopefully get to. But here's what it says. It says, it is spirit-sustained, meaning the Lord is doing something in you. And he's like, you are the ones to come and say something about it, right? It can be mixed with error, so you cannot say, thus saith the Lord. Like, those guys are done. You are not Habakkuk. You are not Obed. You are not Elijah. You are not Elisha. Like, you do not get, thus saith the Lord. However, what you do get is the right. That is, if this is of the Lord, for you to bring it up. All right? That's what it says. Now, let's talk through what this looks like, all right? So, if you're in this room, you're, you're, you're probably one of the 40% in this room. The other 60% wants to know probably how to deal with you. All right? 
Because if I'm, just, if I'm going to be honest with you, like, here's the thing. Like, if you're, if you're wired up in this and you just read the 90-day tie challenge and it says, I will commit to sharing the blog 90 days in a row, you're like, I'm not committing to that. Like, there's no way that I can, I'm going to do that. Like, you really care about truth. Like, it, it's in you. Like, your heart is for the truth. Like, you measure a lot of the things that I say from the stage is like, is he accurate in the scriptures with this or is he wrong? The prophet was always used with the apostle to keep him on track with the word of God. Like, you love the word of God. Like, and you know it. And most of the time, like, if you're reading the books, like 90% of the time, you're accurate in what you say. The danger to you is that 1% of the time, 10% of the time, you're wrong, right? And, And here's what else I would say if you're in this room. Like, if you were walking by yourself, like, if you were wired in this and you walk by yourself, I'm going to warn the rest of the flock to beware of you. This is not Old Testament prophets. This is New Testament prophets where the Spirit of God has been given to his people. Like the Lord no longer just abides on top of people, but he lives inside of them. And so by right, you are their brother and you are their sister. You are not there to call them out in sin. Matthew 18 gives a clear picture for that. Your role is to speak the truth of what God has given you and then walk away. Two weeks ago, some guy comes over and fixes my, my air conditioner. And he says, hey, had a dream about a guy in your church as he's fixing my air conditioner. He wasn't pushy, he wasn't hard, he was, but here it is. And I'm like, man, I was like, there sounds like there's a lot of truth in that. He emailed it to me later. I forwarded it on to the guy and I said, man, Thessalonians 5 tells you to test everything. Like you don't quench the spirit, but that you challenge every prophecy to make sure that it's right. Right? That's what it says. The church has done a poor job of giving you a place for an outlet for that. All right? We're going to talk through it. We're getting low on time. I got to move. So let's do this. All right? We're not going to get to tongues today, but we're going to go. We are going to talk through. um, We're going to finish this up. So 14.1, let's do this. It says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Why does he say this? All right, I'm glad you asked. We're going to find out. It says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. All right? So let me just kind of help you out. Like if you're new to church, you've ever heard the word of tongues, there's, there's like two of them, all right? Two that we know. Tongues is just another language. So we see this at Pentecost, all right? Pentecost comes, everybody begins to speak in a tongue, but of a known nation language, meaning that people would walk by. If you were from Spain, you would hear your own native language. and You're going, hey, how does this guy know my language? And then another guy who's from Mexico, hears his native language. And another guy who's from Wherever, here's his native language, and everybody hears the gospel in their own language, and they praise God because they know it's a miraculous event, right? There is another type of tongues, which is called a prayer language, that is between the individual and their father, all right? Clear story that this is here. Been watched this gift abused. Also have seen this gift used beautifully, all right? And here's what he says. He's saying to this church, he's kind of pulling the reins in on the tongues, and he's pushing forward the gift of the prophetic, All right? And here's what he says. He says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. 
but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So here's what he said. He is not beating up tongues here. That's not his thing. He's not, he's not tearing it down, but he's saying, here's the deal. When you get into a congregation like this, tongues builds up the individual. But he says the prophetic gift builds up the people around you. And so in this story, like if you want the prophetic gift, he says, here's what it does. It turns and it, it moves this gift onto people sitting next door to you. And so that it will become not only strengthening, but not only encouraging, but it also will bring comfort. All right? Now let's talk through those three words. Here's the role of the prophet. Their role is to speak in a way that brings strengthening to you, meaning that they are pushing you into all that God has called you to be. It may not always feel great, but it is there to push you into who God has called you to be. Like it's, it's constantly pushing you into his glory. So the Lord says like you will move from glory to glory. You will constantly be constrained into the image of me. And their role is to constantly push you into that. Why? Because they love him like crazy. Like they know his word in and out. Like it's in their heart. It's what they do. It's how they're wired. So some of you will go, man, I have a hard time sitting with the Lord. Not them. Like it's what they do. They're like, I can't believe everybody doesn't want to sit with the Lord. Like, I need four hours. Like, give me four hours, I'll sit with the Lord. Where some of us will be like, man, I have a hard time sitting with him longer than 40 minutes. It's why we need them in our lives. All right? And so this next word that says, hey, so I'm going to bring them and strengthen them, going to encourage them and bring them comfort. Like, who doesn't want this in your life? Like, here's what I've learned about these guys. They have an uncanny ability to call you out in a great way. So let me give you an example of this. So last year in January, I started a new discipling group. I invited a guy named Andy Anderson into that group. He's wired really strong in this, all right? As we would move through the discipling group, he would always stay late. He'd be like, hey, so-and-so just told us a lie. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, what about, what's the name? He, he's, he's, no, no he's, that's, that was just really bull. His real problem is this. I'm like, What? He's like, yeah, we really need to get to the heart of this and this guy because his real issue is, is, this, is this is what he needs to do. And I'm like, how do you, like, and he was right every time. Every time. Every time. So much of the fact that I've gotten to my heart that I, I don't want to start another discipling group unless I've got a mature prophet with me because he helps me unbelievably pin down what's going on in people's hearts so that we can apply scripture to it. It is an unbelievable gift says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. For the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Is this making sense? Okay. And so let me just kind of wrap this up for us real quick. Um, because I'm out of time. I don't think we're going to get the, to the rest of this. Um, but, but here's what I would say, all right? For, first, I want to speak to you guys in the room that aren't wired like this, okay? Here's, here's what I would say to you. Pursue it. Like, ask for it. Like, ask for it. Like, when I started to see how these people work, I want it in my life. I, I want to be able to discern where people are by how they speak, because it helps me understand them. And so if, if you're part of this flock, the Bible is clear for you, number one, to live a life of undying love, okay? So it's like, start there, start with living a life of undying love, and then ask for this gift in your life. 
like ask for, be able to walk into a room where the Lord says, that's the guy and here's what he needs to know. All right? Like ask for it. You want to see a movement of the Spirit? You watch a lot of this stuff happen. All right? You watch people coming in and encouraging you, building you up, strengthening you. You watch this play out. He, here's why this is important. Because in our, in our mindset, like here's, here's the thing for, for you guys who, who like this, is like you'll join a church where the gifts of tongues and the, and the gift of prophecy kind of runs crazy. And then you get to the point where you look for this, this moment or this expectation or this um, experience as a pouring out of the Spirit when Paul says that's not what it is at all. He says, the pouring out of the Spirit is when everyone in your church walks around going, I have a word from you from the Lord that says, take this, leave this, but well, here's what he wants to say to you. And then he pushes you into it, right? Like he's, he encourages you. It is not this crazy moment where everybody's running around because clearly it says in 12 that not everyone has the gifts of tongues. Tongues is not there to decide whether or not you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit or whichever word you want to use because clearly in 12 it's not there. He says, some of you will ask for it and you will not get it, right? But he says this clearly about prophecy. He says, you go after it. You pursue agape love and you go after this gift among all the rest, all right? So that's what I would say to you. If you're part of the flock, I would say, pursue this, okay? Number two, if you're wired up in this, all right? Like if you're wired in this gift, you have it. I know who you are. I see a bunch of your faces out here like, I love you. Here's what I got to say to you. Learn to love people well. All right? Like, it's not in your wheelhouse to love people. You, you love truth, all right? And, I'm, and I love that you love it. But it's not in your wheelhouse to love people. And so Paul says to you, before you start doing this, to learn to love people. And if you don't love them, like if you don't have this unrelenting love, like this undying love for them, you are better to be keep quiet because it says you are a resounding gong. Does this make sense? And so he says, for you, he says this, he says, pursue love, all right? If you're walking alone, it's an automatic picture to me that something's up in your life. It's automatic for me, and I'm going to have a hard time receiving anything that you want to say. I'm going I'm to pause in that because you are not meant to walk alone. You don't see Jesus doing it. You don't see his apostles doing it. You are not meant to be alone, even though you want to be, all right? And then, and then here's what I would say at the end of it. You are a gift. You are a gift to the church. Don't ever think you're not. Don't ever think that you're just this lonesome guy walking around because I know you're frustrated at times. Because it doesn't look like it should look. Like, I get that, but understand that you are a gift to help us move it into what it's supposed to look like, right? Like, we need you. So don't walk away going, man, it's all broken, forget it. You are a gift to this church, and you are a gift to the body of believers. And so here's, here's what I want to offer you in the last five seconds. Like, if you get a word, I'm going to give you an option here. All right, like if, you, if, you, if you're sitting in the crowd and you're like, man, I, I have something, like we're going to provide an avenue for you. We want you to write it down, okay? From now on, you have the freedom to write this thing down, submit it to the elder or anybody on staff of this church. We will prayerfully consider it. It may make its way all the way to the stage or it may make itself to the trash, all right? 
but we will test it, we will not quench it, and we'll pray over whether God wants to do something with it. So from this day forward, you have an avenue to use your gift, all right? I encourage you that if what you have to say is encouraging and strengthening and building up the body, don't hesitate, all right? If it's for the whole church, write it down, send it through an elder, send it through a person on the staff. Is that cool? All right? And so we're going to pause there. I know this was a lot of information download. Um, I hope you learned something well. Is that good? We okay? All right. Breathe. It's okay. All right. Gospel's powerful, man. That's what it does. It, it challenges us. It challenges us. I think I said that weird. But anyway, all right. And so here's what we're going to do. Like I've went, I've went long, and um, I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and come. They're going to show a video of 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 one of the missional communities that have taken over um, Neiman. Like, we have several of these going on, but here's the thing that I want to say to you. Like, don't ever let us corral you into giving, all right? Giving is an idea that Jesus is the Lord of all things. Like, he is the maker and the creator of all things. He gives us breath, and he takes breath away, right? Like, he owns it all. And so as we move into that where he, he is our Lord, like Savior, salvation, all those things come out of the fact that he is the Lord. Like because he is the Lord, you get all these things, right? You got to twist this. It's, it's not Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is your Lord. And because he is your Lord, you get these things. If Jesus isn't your Lord, I would question whether or not you get any of these things sometimes, right? And so giving is a piece of that he is Lord, Right? Any other thing that you bought into is a lie. And so we don't give here because we're like, oh, let's just give. We give because, man, God is fashioning you into him. He is transforming your heart further into who he wants you to be. And you will not accomplish that when you love money. Yeah? You won't. You won't. As long as money owns you, you have prostituted your heart there. He has a hard time working in that. He tells us this over and over and over. Get a prophet in your life and they'll tell you. All right? And so, Lord, Father, I pray that I didn't say anything crazy. Lord, I've been in the church 15 years. I've never heard this message taught. So it's weird for me to get to teach it. So, Jesus, I would hope that people are encouraged. I would hope that they feel the weight of your gospel on their shoulders. And I praise your name for our worship time this morning. Lord, I would hope and I would ask that the remnant of your name is still here in America and that you're calling us home, that you are the Lord of our lives. Not a God that we take and leave for salvation, but Father, you become the Lord of our lives for in that is the hope of the world. Jesus, be honored in our giving, be honored with our hands, be honored in our gifts. Teach us to love in an agonizing way. And everyone in this house said, Amen.